Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. So let's wrap up our series this morning. This, uh, I've, I've just, you know, I never know ahead of time how these things are going to go. I anticipate that they're going to be good. That's why I plan for them and bring them to you. But you just never really know how things are going to be received. And I never dreamed that this series, right, uh, you know, right around the Christmas season and just before and after the Christmas season, I never dreamed that I would get the kind of feedback that I've gotten over the last several weeks. Um, it happened again last week. I don't, I've lost track of how many people walked up to me last week and said, Brett, you have no idea how bad I needed to hear that. So God uses stuff, and I'm glad that he does. Um, but this little series has been used mightily, I think, in the lives of many, and I know it's, it's helped me, so um, just really thankful. But today we, we wrap it up, and I, we're going to just look at the very last verse in Psalm 23. You know, a lot of people spend their, their time and their life worrying about tomorrow. They, they never really fully enjoy today because they're so caught up worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, and they just they can't enjoy today because of that, because tomorrow's a mystery. You don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. You have no idea. And yet David, as he concludes the 23rd Psalm, is not worried. 23rd Psalm, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that song, Shelby did, was awesome. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That part wasn't in the Bible. I added that part about Shelby and the band. That, that's really not in... <laughs> Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now let me ask you, do you hear any anxiety in David as he writes that phrase? No. There's none there. He's confident. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So the question is, where do you get that kind of confidence? If you're a believer, there are three reasons. I'm going to give you three reasons today why you don't need to fear the future. The first of those is because God is watching over me. God is watching over me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He says, because God is good, I can expect his protection. I can expect his provision. I can expect that no matter what happens to me, God is going to bring good out of it somehow. Good for me. Good maybe for the people around me, good for the kingdom, but somehow, some way, something good is going to come out of it because God is a good God. Psalm 145 says this, the Lord watches over all who love him. God cares about the details of your life and like a father, he will provide for you in the future. You don't know what the future holds. Neither do I. I. You know, it'd be great. We'd be rich. We could make a lot of money if we knew what was going to happen in the future, couldn't we? We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We do know who holds the future, though, and, and we know that God is in control, and God loves you, and God wants to help you. God says, I want to be like a father to you, and I'll, I'll watch over you. And then notice what the, 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 the verse says. Surely goodness and mercy will follow. I, I would, if you were inclined to take notes and circle things, I would have you circle that word follow. Obviously, David, David has his disappointments in life. There are some things that don't go exactly the way he wanted them to go. Not everything that happened to David was a good thing. Some of that he brought on himself. Some of it he didn't. He's not saying here that surely only good things are going to happen to me. That's not the declaration. 
Because that's not true. Bad things happen to good people all the time. In fact, one of the things I have a hard time, one of the things that gets said to me a lot, one of the the objections I get whenever someone finds out that I'm a pastor or that I'm a Christian and they want to debate or they want to get into some discussion about God, if if they're inclined to not believe in God or to not want to have anything to do with God, usually one of the reasons you get is, well, Brett, explain to me why bad things happen to good people. He's not saying that bad things are never going to happen to good people. He says goodness will follow. What does that mean? It means good will always come out of whatever happens to me, even the bad, even the difficult stuff, even the evil stuff. God will ensure that good will come out of it. It will follow whatever happens to David. That's what he's saying. This is a great promise that God has given to all believers. Listen to this. This is Romans 8. I love this. We know that all that happens to us is working for our good, even if we, working for our good, if we love God and are fitting into his plans. That's the Living Bible translation. I want you to notice this is not a promise for everybody. All things do not work together for good for everybody in the world. But if you are a believer in Jesus, if you are inclined to be pointed toward or geared toward or angled toward his will, all things are working together for good. Not all things are good, but all things are working together for good. That's what it means when he says, goodness will follow me. There's no difficulty, there's no dilemma, there's no defeat or disaster in the life of a Christian that ultimately God cannot bring and will not bring good out of in one way or another. Eventually, he's going to bring some good out of it. Now, that can be difficult for us to believe a lot of times because we are smack dab in the middle uh, sometimes of tragedy. When you're in the middle of tragedy, the last thing you want to hear somebody say is what I'm saying this morning. Well, God's going to bring some good out of it because when you're going through tragedy, your heart tends to not be right. And we, we tend to get sensitive and we tend to get cynical and we, uh, we tend to get inwardly focused and we don't, usually we have to kind of be prompted to look in God's direction in the middle of tragedy. Now I know tragedy scares us and we cry out to God, but really what tragedy will do a lot of times is it just makes us go inward. Because there's times when you go through stuff, you don't feel his mercy. It doesn't that God doesn't feel merciful. If God was merciful, he wouldn't let me go through this. There are times when God's goodness feels hidden, elusive, hard to pinpoint or track down or certainly to identify in the situation, but what we're tempted to do is we're tempted to cry out, and maybe you have cried out at some point in your life, where are you, God? Why? What's going on? Even Jesus on the cross said, God, why? I mean, we all go through stuff in life where we would say that, and and, and we don't see goodness in the situation. So when a guy like me gets up here and starts talking like this, the first, you know, there's this soundtrack that starts rolling in our minds. It's like, well, yeah, that's what a preacher says, but that's not been the experience of my life. It's only later a lot of times when you're looking back, we we see the goodness of God and we're able to say he was working for good. I can see where he took that, where at the time I I, I know I couldn't see any way that could be used for good, but now I, I can't. 
I've had some bad things happen to me in my life, and I've yet to have something happen where I looked back on it later and couldn't see something somewhere that could be redeemed, something somewhere that could be used for good, either in my life or for the life of somebody else or to be used for the kingdom. I tell people in counseling all the time, you're going through this, you don't see any purpose for it, but one day you're going to have somebody in front of you who's going through exactly what you're going through and you're going to be positioned to help that person in a way that I never could because I haven't been through that. And I can empathize, and you can come and tell me your story, and if it's not something that I have any experience in, all I can do is pray with you. I mean, that that happens for me a lot, where I just, you know, I I got nothing, I I can't add anything to it, because I've never been in that place. And many times through tears, someone's looking at me like, Brett, you know, what, help me make sense of this. And the only thing I've got for them is, the only thing I can tell you is that one day, a couple of things, A, number one, the sun is going to shine again, and one day somebody's going to be across from you, and you're going to be you're in my position, you're going to be across the table from somebody trying to help them, and they're going to download this story for you, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to go, I've had, that happened to me. Let me tell you what I learned. Let me tell you how God showed up in it. Let me, let me tell you how it strengthened my faith. Let me show you... Let me tell you about how I was scared. Let me tell you about what I didn't understand. Let me tell you about what I understand now. That happens all the time. Goodness will follow me. Does not mean that only good things will happen to you. Bad things will happen to you. But God can bring and will bring good things out of them. Paul was falsely imprisoned in Rome. Was that good? No, that that wasn't good. That, That was bad. But... While he was in prison, he wrote all these letters, uh, these things that we now refer to as books of the New Testament. They came from a man who was in prison, oftentimes fearing for his own life. Did goodness follow out of that? Yes. We benefit today because of Paul's problem. We benefit today because of Paul's pain. Think about that. Goodness follows. God says, I'll watch over you so that you do not have to fear the future. How how does God watch over believers? Psalm 91, God orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. So, if we're to believe the Bible, and I do, the Bible says that God's angels watch over you. You say, Brett, are angels real? Yes. Yes, they are real. I realize that in our scientific age, something like that is dismissed by an awful lot of people. It just amazes me how many people believe in God, but don't believe in a devil, <laughs> believe in spiritual things, but believe in only good spiritual things, and don't believe that there's an evil spiritual side. Who would believe that there is a God, but that God would not have something like angels to dispatch the work of watching over us yes angels are real and scripture tells us that god has created them for several reasons and one of the reasons is to watch over and protect believers you don't talk to them you you you, you can't see them but they're out there and they're working on your behalf all the time now angels are big business today there are entire stores dedicated to angels there are websites 
where you can go buy little trinkets and things that are dedicated to angels. There are books written about angels. There's some new age quackery out there that you can kind of get into about angels. There's all kinds of myths and legends, and, and a lot of that stuff is just not true. If you're interested in reading the truth about the biblical truth about angels, I would just recommend the book Angels Among Us by Ron Rhodes. That is probably one of the better books that's been written on the subject if you had, were inclined to want to read something like that. The Bible talks about angels and what they do. Here's just some basic things to know <clears throat> about angels. First of all, human beings do not become angels at death. I've, I've heard that. I've been, in, I've been at funerals and things where people, you know, well, She's an angel now. No, she's not an angel. They, we don't become angels at death. Hollywood will tell you that, but that's not, the Bible doesn't tell you that. Number two, angels are spirit beings. They don't have bodies, and because they are spirits, they are invisible. We can't see them. Because they're invisible, most of the time, we don't perceive that they're doing anything among us on a practical level. What that means is that angels are protecting you. You ever had something happen where you woke up you know, you, you, have you ever fallen asleep while you're driving and you wake up just before you hit something? Or have you ever had something where you've been able to avert something at just the last minute? And you're like, I, don't, I can't explain it. I happen to pay attention to that. And wow, what would have happened if I'd not caught that? I mean, it could be that you're just that well-timed. It's more likely that you've got an angel somewhere or several angels that are looking after you for stuff. Just for your entertainment and your reading pleasure, I would refer you to this book. If you've never read this book, it's called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. It's a novel. It is, uh, I would just caution you to not read this and, and say, well, that's exactly how angels do it. That's not what I'm proposing at all. But I will tell you that this book probably has, has uh, when I was uh, just coming out of Bible college, I read this and uh, it changed the way I pray. I'll just tell you that. And if you want a very entertaining read, it's fairly thick, it's a, and there's a sequel to it as well, but if you want a, a book that kind of helps you to learn how to pray and talks about angels and how what we're talking about here and kind of puts that into a, a real-life scenario where you might understand it a little better or, or might spark your imagination, which is there's nothing wrong with that either, um, I would recommend This Present Darkness by Peretti. It was a really good book. I enjoyed it a lot. Number three, we don't just have one angel watching over us. We've got several. Now, that's just some basic information about angels. The real question is, how do they guard us today? How do they, how do they help us? Number one, they guard us against harm and injury. I would point you to Daniel. In Daniel 6, we, you know, we're, we're told about the lion's den and and how Daniel was aided, well, that an angel was involved in that. Number two, angels guard us by restraining evil. And you see this illustrated in 2 Kings 6, when Elijah and his servant are surrounded by a hostile army, and Elijah can see angels around. He knows that they're with him. He knows that they're not alone, but his servant can't see any of that. And the servant is, is petrified, so Elijah says, pray to God. And the Bible says that when he prayed, his eyes were open and he was able to see this host of angels and he wasn't afraid anymore. He came to understand the truth of Psalm 91. God commands his angels to guard over you in all your ways. 
Number three, angels guard us in the midst of dangerous circumstances. We see this illustrated in Acts 27. Paul is on a ship. And the ship encounters foul weather, and from all appearances, it looks like that ship is going to go down. And, but, but Paul talks about an angel that appeared to him and said, there's, there's no problem, you're not going to die. The people on this boat are not going to die. This ship is not going down, even though it, that's what it looks like. And so angels can protect us in dangerous circumstances. And finally, angels guard against despair. They can keep us from getting discouraged. I heard a story about a woman who went to her pastor because she was expecting a child and she was told that the child that she was about to have was going to be a Down syndrome baby. And so she went to her pastor to, you know, kind of just get some counsel and, and pray and I'm sure cry. And her pastor told her that God was going to bless her with this child and that God would help her throughout this whole situation. After the woman left the pastor, he sat down, and, and I've done this before, where, you know, I just, someone's on my mind, and so I'll just write a note of encouragement to him, and, and this pastor did that. He wrote a little postcard, and uh, from the sound of the story, it sounds like it was just one of those open-faced postcards where you write your note on one side and the address on the other, and it's just, you know, it's just one little sheet. <clears throat> he wrote that postcard, and he sent it off to the woman reminding her that God was going to bless her through this child that she was about to have. Well, <clears throat> the postcard got, address, got uh, delivered to the wrong house. So the lady who actually received the postcard uh, got it, and, uh, you know, she read it, and she said, well, you know, it's clearly this isn't meant for me. So um, she decided that she would deliver it. She would hand deliver it to the, the, the correct address. And so she rang the doorbell, and when the door opened, the woman with the postcard said, you know, your pastor sent you this postcard, and I received it by mistake, and I, I see that it's about your, your Down syndrome baby that you're getting ready to have, and um, I want you to know that I have a Down syndrome child, and uh, I just want, I want to volunteer, and I want to offer to help you through this if you'll let me. Now, you may not believe, and that's okay if you don't believe, but I happen to believe that angels do things like that. Okay? I don't know that it happens all the time. I, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't walk, I don't see an angel around every corner. I don't know when angels show up. I just believe that they do. I know that God uses them to help us. Now, having said all that, I would say this. Just because you have guardian angels does not mean that you are exempt from having bad things happen to you. I mean, it's, it's you know, whoo, we're guarded by angels. Let's all go skydiving. No, I don't, don't, I don't. Trust in God, but keep your powder dry. That was the motto of the revolutionary soldier. In the Old Testament, David had angels guarding him, but bad things happened to him. The Apostle Paul had angels guarding him, but bad things happened to him. Eventually, he is beheaded. He's he, that probably, um, I think, I've heard different ones talk about how Paul was beheaded. It doesn't sound pretty at all. One thing you can count on is that God will always be with you in adversity. He doesn't exempt you from adversity, but he will walk with you through it. Not only is God watching over you so you don't have to fear the future, but God's grace is working in you. That's number two. God's grace is working in you. I want you to notice that it doesn't say 
just goodness is going to follow you. He says, something else will follow you, mercy. Mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Isaiah 60 says, I will have mercy on you through my grace. So what is grace? We, we talk, we use this word all the time. If you're around me much, you'll hear me use the word grace. I'm a big, big proponent. I, I love grace because I need so much of it. But if you ever are like trying to explain it to somebody, use this acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's everything that God is able to do for us because of Jesus. Grace is the fact that God gives you what you need. Not what you deserve. Now that is great news. He gives you what you need, not what you deserve. Aren't you glad it doesn't say, and justice will follow me all the days of my life? I, I don't want justice. I don't, I, you know, whoever thinks that karma is better than grace is crazy. Karma is you get what you deserve. Do you really want what you deserve? No, I don't want what I deserve. I want God to give me grace. We'd all be hopelessly lost were it not for the grace of God. Aren't you glad God doesn't give you what you deserve? The Bible says God's gracious and gives us what we need, not what we deserve. What is mercy? Well, grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy is withholding or not giving me what I do deserve. See, we all stumble. We all blow it from time to time. We, we don't always get it right. We all make mistakes, and I hate to tell you this, but your, your future is filled with future sin. Now, I wish I could tell you you're never going to sin again, but that, you know that's not true. We are going to sin again. So in the future, you need not only God's goodness, you need his mercy. You need his forgiveness, his pardon, his healing in your life. When you really understand God's grace and God's mercy, when you understand that God isn't out there just trying to get even with you. I think there are people that think, you know, I've just been so bad, God is just going to get even with me. If you have given your life to Jesus, then you have allowed him to take on his body through the crucifixion your sin, everything wrong that you ever did got pinned onto Jesus on the cross and everything that you're ever going to do wrong. Do you understand that? You haven't just been forgiven for what you did. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have been forgiven for stuff you haven't even done yet. Now, people hear me say that and they're like, Brett, don't tell them that. Don't tell them that. Why don't they want me to tell you that? Because a lot of times religion gets used to control people. And see, I'm not up here trying to control you. I can't control you. And I'm not going to try to use religion to control you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And the truth is, you, when you came to Christ, were forgiven for everything that you ever did that was wrong. And you've got a whole lifetime ahead of you. Now, hopefully, you don't sin as much after meeting Jesus as you do before you met Jesus. And hopefully, that gets limited in your life. Because the more you sin, the more bad decisions you make, the more messed up your life gets. But... We would be crazy to think that we're not ever going to sin again. That's crazy to think that. And so the beauty is when you wake up and you know, God, today I'm likely going to let you down. God's like, yeah, I know it. I know it. But you're already forgiven. That is a, that is a life-changing truth and reality. We all stumble. We all fall. We're all going to sin in the future. Spiritually speaking, 
Jesus pays for it, you don't. That doesn't seem fair. In fact, grace isn't fair. That's the thing about grace. Grace doesn't mean that something is completely free. Grace means somebody paid, but you didn't pay. So, so you, you never have to say, well, this bad thing happened. I wonder if God's trying to get even with me. No, God is not trying to get even with you. He has, has no need. He has no thought for, oh, I'm going to make them pay. No, Jesus paid. That's grace, and that's mercy. And when you understand that, you, you have no need to fear the future anymore. I want to read to you from Psalm 103. This is a fairly lengthy passage. David is going to list a number of ways that God shows mercy. I just want you to hear this list. He says, yes, I will bless the Lord and not forget the glorious things he does for me. Verse 3, he forgives all my sins. He heals me. He ransoms me from hell. He surrounds me with loving kindness and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. He gives justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his will and nature to Moses and the people of Israel. He is merciful and tender toward those who don't deserve it. He is slow to get angry and full of kindness and love. He never bears a grudge nor remains angry forever. He does not he has not punished us as we deserve for all our sins. That's mercy. For his mercy toward those who fear and honor him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth, which is just infinite. Dee, Dee and I were talking this week about space. <laughs> this is about how huge, huge space is. So when he says that, it's just like, think about the expanse of space, and he's likening his mercy to that. And then verse 13, he is like a father to us, tender and sympathetic to those who reverence him. When you understand mercy, that God not only is being good to you, he's also being merciful to you. He's handling your sins. He's, he's taking care of your mistakes and your faults. And, and you, you have no reason to fear the future. Why? Because mercy means when I'm going through a tough time or a valley, even one that I brought on myself, God is there to help me out. How many times have your kids done something, they brought it on themselves? And you, in your mercy, because you're a parent, because you love them more than anything else in the world, you say, yeah, I know they were stupid, I know they made that mistake, I know they made that mess, I ought to let them just wiggle their way out of it, but I'm going to help them. Why? Because I love them. Now, sometimes we leave them in it for a while to teach a lesson, right? You made that mistake, you made that decision, I'm going to let you learn from your decision. But we as parents, when we see that our kids are stuck and they can't move anymore, they're checkmated by whatever it is, they, they're stuck, that's when we come along and go, I'm not stuck, I can help you fix that. That's what God does. Look at this from Hebrews 4. He can, he can come, we can come before God's throne where we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. I want you to notice that goodness, like mercy, follows us through life. Anybody that has raised kids will understand what I'm about to say next. You remember when your kids were little? You know, just learning to walk, kind of like a penguin? And they just kind of go through your house, and they're dragging toys out, and they get into everything, and, you know, they make messes all over the place, and you can just, you could walk from one room to the next 
and see a path where your kids have been because that's what they do. Those kids are just constantly making messes. And there's a point, you know, eventually we teach them like, hey, if you, keep, you can't do that. If you do that, I'm going to punish you. You can't do that. But when they're two, they don't get it, and they honestly don't care. And they just kind of, you know, I've seen kids just go through the house just slinging things, like just for fun, like I'll tear that up, I'll tear that up. And what happens is we as parents, a lot of times, we kind of follow behind and we pick this up and we pick that, you know, before you go to bed at night, you would go through and kind of clean up the house after that thing that you call a child, that tornado in your life has torn your house apart and you just kind of pick it all up and you make it all better and you clean it all up. You, you get that. You followed behind. Grace followed that child. You were the grace. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. That's kind of what this verse is trying to say. God is constantly picking up our messes. Constantly straightening up the messes that we've made, the mistakes, the things that we get wrong. And we just kind of toddle off to the next thing and God's behind us just kind of making it right and cleaning up after us. Now see, that the thing is, your two-year-old, when he laid his head on his pillow to go to bed that night, was not thinking about the fact that you're out there in the living room cleaning everything up. He didn't think about that. And we are that way. We oftentimes are not thinking about, you know what, God follows behind me and God cleans it all up. God is behind you. He's picking it all up. He's putting it all together. He's working it out. He's taking care of messes. That is mercy. That's mercy. He's picking up after you. David tells us, mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Not some of the days, all the days. God's goodness isn't a faucet that gets turned on and off. God doesn't say, you know what, I had a bad day today, so I'm not going to be merciful to you today. God didn't like us. That's something that we would do. God doesn't get in a bad mood because his team lost the game. He doesn't get in a bad mood because somebody pulled out in front of him. He, he doesn't have a bad hair day and, and get in a bad mood. God's not like us. Bad hair day. He says, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You and I are going to experience many kinds of days in life. Some of them are happy, elated, full of joy. Some of them are sad, sick. Some are depressing days, lonely days, difficult days. That's why we fear the future, because we don't know what kind of day is going to show up next, because we've experienced so many in our life. It's like, okay, I, don't, I really don't know whether tomorrow's going to be a sad day or a depressing day or a joy-filled day. I really don't know. But here's the thing. You will never face a day, never, without the, the, God's goodness and mercy following after you now some days may not feel like it some days may not cause you to see god's mercy or grace and it may be hard to determine once in a while but he says surely without a doubt take it to the bank goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life we get all worked up because we play the what if game well, Brett, what if this happens? Well, just suppose this happens. Well, what would I do if this? You see, there's no supposing in the Bible. It says, surely. 
Christians go into the future not with a question mark, they go into the future with an exclamation mark. Surely. Stop supposing and start reposing. Start relaxing. Start trusting. God, I know you're with me. No matter what happens, you're going to help me. God's goodness will provide and protect, and God's mercy will pardon and forgive. You need to understand that. You also need to understand that God's goodness will help me, and God's mercy will heal me. See, the 23rd Psalm is a shepherding psalm. It's poetry, but it's about shepherding. There's a difference between the way you treat cattle and the way you treat sheep. You drive cattle. You get behind them and you drive them across a field. You don't do that with sheep. You have to lead sheep. If you were to go to the Middle East and see a shepherd leading sheep, you would see a shepherd out front, and more than likely you would see maybe one of his kids, or, or, or a, you, know, the, you know, we've trained dogs for this kind of thing. You would see some, something kind of corralling them, but they're led from the front by the shepherd. And maybe there's some dogs that kind of keep them in line and trying to keep them safe so that they're not lost. But goodness and mercy keep you in the flock. They keep you safe. And when you have goodness and mercy in your life, you need not fear anything. So number three, we're going to land the plane. Number three, I can face the future confidently because heaven is waiting for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We know that our body will be destroyed. But when that happens, God will have a house for us. It will not be a house made by human hands. Instead, it will be a home in heaven that will last forever. So entropy again. One day your body is going to die. This this physical world that we live in, we are bound by time and space, and we are bound by that thing I was talking about earlier, that second law of thermodynamics, entropy, which means we are running down. We don't, the, the second law of thermodynamics is about an arrow. It, they call it the, the arrow of, of the second law of thermodynamics. It only points in one direction. What does that mean? It means you're not getting any younger. We've heard, you've heard that expression, right? You're not getting any younger, and you go, boy, don't I know that. Don't I know? I, I know I'm not getting any younger. No, one day, life comes to an end. But... That, that's your physical body. But your soul is eternal. Your soul is unaffected by the second law of thermodynamics. Entropy has no bearing on your soul. And you will spend your eternity in one of two places, either with God in heaven or apart from God in hell. We were made to last forever. So here's a question. Why should Christians be the most confident people when it comes to the future? Look at the next verse. Now we look forward with confidence to our heavenly bodies, and we are not afraid but are quite content to die, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Death for Christians is a transfer. It's a promotion. It's on to better things. No more problems. In 2004, Tim McGraw released a song. It was a number one hit. They played it that whole summer. It's called Live Like You're Dying. He found out he had cancer. 
And somebody asked him, you know, how, what, what, do you do after, what do you do after you get a diagnosis like that? And he, he said, I went skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing, and he rode a bull for 2.7 seconds. So what did he do? He, he decided that if death was coming, he was going to actually wring everything he could out of life. And he basically, in that song, is saying, you're really not ready to live until you're ready to die. It just strikes me that a lot of people don't get that. I said this a couple of weeks ago, I want to say it again. Only a fool would go through life totally unprepared for something that they know is an inevitability. Only a fool would do that. Only a fool would go through their life completely unprepared to die. Someday you and I are going to die, and to not prepare would be very foolish. If, if we have not accepted Christ, I don't know what happens to us. I just know it's not going to be with God, and I don't want to be any place where God is not. But if you've accepted Jesus, you are going to go to heaven. Brett, what's heaven going to be like? Let me give you some words. You're going to be rewarded. In heaven, you're going to be rewarded. You will be rewarded for your faithfulness to Jesus. You will be reunited. Some of you, I'm looking just at faces, and I've, I've, I've buried people that are close to you. People that you miss. People that you love. You're going to be reunited. You're going to be reassigned. We're going to be given jobs to do that we actually like to do. It will be something that we really enjoy doing. I don't know what it looks like. I, I know this. If I get to heaven and God assigns me to a cloud to play a harp for the rest of my days, <clears throat> I will not be happy. That just doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Praise the Lord, strum on the harp. Praise the Lord, strum. I mean, I have to believe that God is going to give us some things to do, things that we really like. I mean, I, this is what I would tell you. Have you ever done something that you really enjoyed? Like, have you ever gone to a concert and you thought, oh, I don't ever want this to end? You ever been listening to somebody sing or you're at a program or you're at a game or something and you're like, oh, I, I'm so happy, this is so awesome, I don't ever want this to end. Anything that you ever, you ever done something and you've lost complete track of time? You just, you're in the moment, you're enjoying the moment. That's what heaven's going to be like. Heaven is going to be that eternally, that place where you're so in the now, you're so caught up, it's so awesome, you're like, man, this is unbelievable, I'm having such a good time. And you will be in that perpetual state forever. That by itself is a great commercial for heaven, if I do say so myself. But don't put me on a cloud. I don't know what you'll do. I, I just know that you're not going to be bored and you're going to love what goes down in heaven. You will be rewarded. You'll be reunited. You'll be reassigned. Best of all, we will be released from pain and sorrow, suffering and depression and fear. I've done, you know, 
I go through some weeks where I don't do any, and then I go through other weeks where I do just this unbelievable amount of, of talking with people, counseling. And I'm not really a trained counselor. I just bring to bear my life experience and 30-plus years of ministry and you know what I know about the Bible and what God's been able to teach me, and I just kind of bring that to the table. I'm not a trained, licensed counselor. I don't pretend to be. I don't think I'm anybody's gift to counseling. But I love people, and I have a heart to help. And those two things tend to get me through. But this week, I have sat with just a lot of hurting people. And through tears, they, they tell me their story. And, you know, I'm, I'm geared to help. I want to help. And sometimes they tell me the story, and I, I, I can't do anything to help. And I, I really look forward to heaven. Because there's a day coming when I won't have to look at somebody as they go through their pain or their hurt and they're confused, and they, they want help, and they're, they're looking for somebody to, to, to take them by the hand and lead them through whatever it is and make it stop. I can't. But one day, all that goes away. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more cancer and heart disease, aging, decaying bodies. No more. Revelation 21, he will wipe away all the tears from, our eyes, from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, nor pain. All of that has gone forever. Man, that, that makes me homesick. Question, who was heaven made for? Heaven was not made for everyone. It was made for people who have said, God, I want to be yours and I want to follow you. Look at the next verse, 1 Peter. And God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God in his mighty power will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting him. It will be yours in that coming day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though the going is rough for a while down here. Amen. Amen. Yes, the going is rough down here. But it is just as true that one day we will be with the Lord. Heaven was made for Christians, for believers, for those who love Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you don't believe that, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But I'm just telling you, I believe it. And I believe it because Jesus said it. I believe it because Jesus was the Son of God, raised from the dead. And I believe all of that because there's very good evidence to believe all that. You do not have to be an idiot. You don't have to check your brain at the door to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and that he was the Son of God. You don't have to be an idiot to believe that. There's very good evidence for that. The problem today is that most people, even Christians, act like this is all there is, that there is nothing else, and this is all that matters. No, this life is preparation for what is to come. First Peter, dear brothers, you are only visitors here since your real home is in heaven. So how about we act like it? 
We get so focused on the stuff down here. And it seems to me that we, we get focused on the wrong things. Getting things is not the goal of life. Getting prepared for heaven is. So build your character because that's what you'll take with you to heaven. Oh, Brad, I don't, I don't, how do I know I'm going to heaven? John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Two things, my sheep listen to me and they follow me. Are you doing that? Are you listening to his voice and are you following? Jesus is your shepherd. Are you listening? Are you following? If so, then the way David wraps up Psalm 23 is for you. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We want that for you. We want all doubt that of where you're going to go when you die removed for you. We offer you, Christ offers you, his forgiveness for every sin you've ever committed. You don't have to be good. You don't have to keep a list. You don't have to be a cookie-cutter Christian. You are you, and you come, and you give your life to Jesus, and you say, you know what? I want to be forgiven. If you've never done that, let's me and you have a talk, okay? Let's me and you have a talk, and let's settle that once and for all. Let's pray together. Father, the future scares us to death, and it shouldn't because we know who holds it. You hold it, and our faith is in you. I pray, Father, that what we've learned today enables us to walk out of here and walk with great confidence, to step with purpose, to know that goodness and mercy follow, that the bad things that happen to me have a purpose, bad things that happen to me you're going to use somehow. It doesn't mean you don't love me. It doesn't mean you're not there. It means you're there and you're working, you're doing stuff. And so, Father, rather than just get mad at you or shake a fist or ask why, would we just, in the midst of our pain this morning, would we just be able to say, God, I know you're there. I know you're there. And I may not feel you and I may not be able to see you, but I know you're there. And I'm just going to walk in faith until you show me what this is all about. And then I will lift your name in praise. And even when I don't know, I will lift your name in praise. Father, would you find us faithful this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.